you know, there are times in our life that, you know, we're called to live a victorious life. But if we're all honest, how many of us have experienced things other than victory in our day-to-day life? We experience things that seem contrary to what we read in Scripture. And that can be challenging for all of us. And uh, so this morning, we want to look at a few things. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that we do hear things. And, you know, we hear maybe thoughts or concepts, ideas in church, but yet our experience is something a little different. And so you're just like, well, I guess that just doesn't apply to me. Here's the thing about the word of God. If it's written, it's for you individually, not just for a select few that God feels good about today. If you can, if your eyeballs can process and your mind process the words on the page, it is for you. You're not exempt from anything in scripture at all. It is available to you. And yet our experience many times can feel pretty different. And, uh, you know, and so we want to look at some things this morning. I want to start off uh, with a couple of verses out of the book of Colossians. We're going to read verses eight through 15. And uh, I'm going to lay a little bit of groundwork here as to why we say that the game is over for Satan, the enemy. The Bible calls him the great enemy of our soul. And for him, his fate is a done deal. I mean, the Bible's very clear. And this is really where this comes from here in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Let me give you the backstory of this. This verse is really picking up on the, right at the back end of where Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so Jesus has, you know, died the death on the cross. He went to the grave. He's now risen from the dead. He's come back for 40 days and has now ascended back into heaven. So that's the backstory as to what's going on. But this is actually going to give us a glimpse as to what happened during the time from the cross, or I'm sorry, from the grave to the resurrection. Because there was something happening. Jesus wasn't just hanging out in the grave for a couple days waiting, saying like, all right, I got 72 hours. I said I was coming back. So no, there was actually something going on. Here in verse eight of Colossians two, it says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human or come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. In other words, people's opinion. There's lots of opinions floating around that could sound right. But here's what we what we always have to do. You can take somebody's opinion and come back to the word of God and say, "Okay, where, show me that in some scripture." Like, where, what are you basing? Well, you know, somebody told me one time about this situation. Yeah, but where in scripture does that come back? That's high-sounding nonsense. Right? It sounds right, but it is nonsense. There's lots of people that have theories about God, theories about, you know, these ideas, these thoughts, but they're, they're really not founded in even why, because God reveals himself in the word of God completely to us. So he says, you know, be careful. Don't let somebody capture you. Don't let somebody get a hold of you with these crazy ideas. That's anything other than what Christ has revealed. It says in verse 9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. You're like, well, what's God like? Go read the Gospels. Jesus displayed the nature of God 100%. It says that he is the fullness of God in human body. In verse 10, it says, so you also are complete. Catch that word. You are complete. Complete, 100%. You are complete. Through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. Now, how many of you 
Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but if I asked you, you said, man, you feel complete right now, like you're 100% whole and well, and you're everything God wants you to be. You know how many hands should have just went up? Every one of our hands should have went up, but in our own mind, in our own experience, all of us are like, nope. But yet, what does the word of God say right here? You are complete in him. Now, why is this? It's because we have this thing called a mind, right? We have these thoughts. We have these emotions. We have things that tell us a different story than what the Word of God does. In verse 11, it says, now this is going to get somewhat technical, but hopefully you can follow it along. But it says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. It says, Christ performed a, a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. That's why we do water baptism. Why It's an outward sign of us identifying with the death of Christ. He says, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised uh, Christ from the dead. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet, a, was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave most of your sins. Is that what that says up there? All. He forgave all of your sins. That's good news. Is anybody happy about that? I'm glad that God doesn't pick and choose which ones he wants to. Like, ah, okay. I'll forgive that attitude today, but don't do it tomorrow. <laughs> you know? I mean, no, it says all of our sin. Verse 14. It says, he canceled the record of the charges against us. In other words, we were all guilty. And yet he said, not guilty. It says, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In verse 15, it says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now I want to read these two verses out of a, a new Bible, the new translation, not a new Bible, but a new translation that my wife has told me about for a while, but I just recently got it and I've really been enjoying it called the Passion Translation. It's not the whole Bible, but it's uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and then all the New Testament. But here, verse 14 and 15, I really like the way it said it. It says, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sin, or our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. I like that. You ever lost something on your computer and you're like, where did it go? You're like, I don't know, but I... Can't get it back now. That's the way God looks at us today. Said that our sins, our, our stained soul, has he, he deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public, as a public display of cancellation. Verse 15. It says, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. The devil has no reason to accuse you. Doesn't mean he won't. But the validity of his claim is nothing. Why? Because of these, what the scripture is telling us right here. It says, and by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a, pro, in a procession of triumph. I love this part that they added. They said, he was not their prisoner, they were his. 
See, the whole time the enemy thought that he had won. Why? Because Jesus had died the death on the cross and Satan thought, man, I've done it. I've got it. And yet scripture tells us if he would have known what was going to happen, he would have never allowed Jesus to hang on a cross. Why? Because he thought in killing Jesus, he was killing Jesus. What he didn't realize was in killing Jesus, he was giving life to all of us. See, here it says that he led them like a great processional, which we don't understand this language. But culturally speaking, they understood exactly what this meant. Because any time that one kingdom went and overtook another kingdom, one of the things that they would do to kind of declare final victory, if you will, they would take the king of the kingdom that was just overcome. They would strip him of all of his royal clothes. Just beyond, they would strip him to his underwear. And they would walk him in the streets in front of all the people that were his servants. So that they knew he was no longer in charge. They were, it was like the sign of ultimate disgrace. And yet that's what the Bible actually says that Jesus did to Satan right through the streets of hell. He said, hey, I'm the one who holds the keys of death, hell, and of the grave. Not him. And he paraded him right through the streets. I mean, what a scene. Like when we get to heaven, like can we get that on a, on a, can we watch that movie? Like, you know, I mean, what an amazing moment. And yet here we are knowing this, and, and many of you have heard this. You, you, you could probably even turn to the scriptures, tell me the story. You, you, but yet there's a disconnect from the knowledge of knowing that this is what Christ has done to my experience and how I live every day. But the facts are still the facts. Jesus is still on the throne. He is the Lord God, high and mighty. Him alone is exalted and worthy of praise. And Satan cannot even begin to get close. He tried, and that's what got him kicked out of heaven in the first place. But yet, for us, there's this idea. And so, you know, just these thoughts that come, and the enemy will try. Even though his accusations against us are really have no weight to them, he still comes to condemn us. Why? Because he realizes the only way that he can defeat us is if he gets us to believe a false truth. Let me give you a couple uh, little definitions here and a little deeper uh, word study on verse 14. Here it talks about, and really it says, um, where it talks about that our stained souls have been... Things have been deleted and that it could not be retrieved. It actually says this, is that a new DNA has been embedded now within us through the cross and the resurrection life of Christ. We were just singing about this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. A wretched sinner I was. But what now? I have a new DNA. You have a new DNA. When when we uh, surrender our hearts to Christ, what happens is it's a whole new identity comes. It's no longer this old person that was Good for nothing, quite honestly. No, it's a whole new life. It's a whole new identity for us, but yet we have to identify with that new life. If we keep looking back to that old life, guess what? We're not going to experience the victory of that new life. We'll continue to experience the defeat of the past. And yet it's up to us. Now, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is is seated right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's the seat of authority. It doesn't change that fact, but yet we can experience something very different. 
some more uh, here where it talks about, in verse 15, talks about the power to accuse us. As you study that out, and even here in that Bible, it adds these notes. It says that all the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him, and now the church has authority in Christ to enforce his triumph upon dethroned rulers of this world. Now, I want you to read that slowly. Don't read it fast. Read it slowly. Especially that second part where it says, Now the church, that's you. Now you have authority in Christ to enforce triumph upon the dethroned rulers of this world. You have authority in Christ. In Christ, you've been given authority to what? To enforce triumph, victory. Jesus has done everything that he is going to do. That's why he said, it is finished. My work is done. It is thorough. It's complete. I I left nothing undone. But now we have to what? Enforce his victory in our lives. He's done everything he can. Not just that he can, he's done everything that he needed to do. He left nothing undone for us. But see, what happens is that many times Satan wants us to what? Live contrary to the inheritance that we have. We have this life in Christ to live, and yet the enemy really wants to get us off course, off track, to get us out of the place that Jesus actually intended for us to live. Here's just a question that I'll throw out there, but if, because I, I believe many of us can identify with this. If Satan is defeated, why do so many Christians feel so defeated? You ever thought about that? I mean, we throw that word around in church. Oh, Satan's defeated. You know, I was thinking about a, a song from a few years ago and there was that tagline in there. The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. I mean, you know, it was like a chant, man. We would sing that song and yet we would sing that song and then walk out and be defeated. And it's like, wait a second, maybe we missed something in singing that song. See, I believe that one of the reasons that that happens is primarily is because of a lack of understanding. I mean, Proverbs says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, what it actually, go look in the Amplified Bible, it actually adds that my people are destroyed for a lack of redemptive knowledge. Redemptive knowledge, that's salvation language. That's I'm a child of God language. And it says, because of a lack of an understanding, people are destroyed. Well, that's what happens. Romans 12, 2 gives us the idea and gives us the thought. And it tells us that we are to be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through the total reformation of how we think. The battleground is not in the, na- in the natural external world. It is in our heart. It is in our mind. It is in the way we think. It's in the way we talk. It's what we believe about ourselves. That is the battleground that we now fight on. That's why the Bible says that we have to what renew our minds. You're like, what does that mean? Think differently. And it doesn't just mean think differently than you used to. It means that you need to start thinking the way that God thinks about you. Amen. You're like, well, why does this matter? It makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in the world. See, because if Satan can get us inwardly beaten, which many people are, they're in, let me say it this way if they are internally defeated, I have believed a lie about myself that God never said about me. 
One of my questions for you this morning is this, is what do you believe about you that God has not said about you in his word? Because it matters. It matters greatly. Why? Because you can buy into the lie of the enemy that says that you're something different than who God has created you to be. But if Satan can get us defeated inwardly or beaten inwardly, we will be outwardly defeated, which is true. If he can get you questioning things, even in your, it will change the way you live. It will change the way you think. It will change the perspective of, of which you see life through. This is a, a phrase that many people have used, but depending on your experience in life and your understanding of, of who God is and what his word says, you can either go through life as a victim, right? Things have always happened to me. Things have always happened to me. You know, I'm, I'm always on the wrong. Or you can look at it from the place of victory, which you're like, well, what does that mean? When, when circumstances arise, things hit you, you can either just lay down and say, well, I'm a victim. That's what I, or you can say, no, I'm going to overcome this. What the enemy meant to, to take me out, God is going to use somehow, some way. I'm not even sure yet how, but God is going to use this for my betterment and for my good. I, I, I don't see how, but that's the difference. And you see, the mentality changes how you view it. Oh, this is going to wipe me out. No, it's not. I'll come back stronger. Proverbs says that the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. I like that. I'm going to get up. I'm not going to stay in this defeated place. Why? Because my Savior, Jesus, who is seated on the throne right now, sits in a place of authority and a victory. And the Bible says, I'm seated right there with him. And so are you. I mean, think about this. So many times we want Jesus to stand up and to begin to speak over our life. And he's saying, why don't you do it? Because guess what? You have the same authority that Jesus does. Now, depending on your religious background, your hair may have just stood up and be like, oh, no. No, he didn't say that. I didn't say it. The Bible did. So if you have an issue with the statement, you can take it up with God. I'm just communicating it to you. See, our thoughts need to agree with what God's word says about us. Now, this is a part of my story that I, because I really had to deal with my thoughts. I had to learn how to think properly. Because, you know, just because of insecurities and all kinds of things. It just, I had to, and, and so this is part of, and truthfully, it's part of all of our story. Some of us just do a better job of hiding it than others. But we all have to learn how to do this, and it is learned. Over in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, I'm going to read a couple verses here. In verse 17 of Romans 5, it says, For the sin of this one man being Adam. Now, depending on how much you've been around church, hopefully you know the story of Adam and Eve. He was the first man. The Bible says he sinned, and in him sinning, all of mankind became fallen. But it says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Right? 
That's a key word. It's the gift of God, or it says even greater, God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it will live in triumph, victory over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing is that many times we struggle. Many times I I think we can understand the grace of God to some degree, not that we ever fully understand. I mean, God is always, you know, our knowledge is always growing. I'll say that we'll never figure him out in any way. And any time that we think we've got God cornered in a particular area, he's going to show us something like, I didn't know that. Just to remind us that he's God and we're not. But I believe that we can understand grace. Why? Because we know we need it. It's easy to identify why I need grace. Why? Because I need God to do for me what I can never do for myself. Man, I, you know, I'm broken. I need to be healed. I'm jacked up. I need God to work. I mean, you know, all of those things. And yet it says that because of God's work, and it says, and his gift of righteousness. We struggle with understanding about righteousness. We just do. God's grace, okay. And let me say it this way. God's grace saves us, but righteousness will actually cause us to, to move forward. And yet many times we don't understand, and that's why we have a hard time really grabbing hold of when we start talking about living a victorious life. Why? Because we think that we've been that old sinner saved by grace, that we're still that old sinner. But we're not. The Bible says that we have been created new in Christ. Old things have been passed away. They've been put aside. God has erased them off the hard drives of heaven. And now a new life is here. But see, this gift of righteousness, it says for all who will receive it, they'll grab hold of it, that they would live in triumph. In the Passion Translation of verse 17, it says it this way. I don't think this one will be on the screen because I don't think I gave it to him. But it says, uh, death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more we are held by the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. The Bible actually says that we're actually supposed to reign in this life. Now, we don't understand this language because we don't have kings and queens and all those things in our country. But for our context and really for what we're talking about, let me give you a, somewhat of a definition of that word reign. It means to exercise kingdom dominion in our lives. Jesus told the disciples right before he ascended to heaven, he said that I have been given all authority has come unto me and now I'm giving it to you. So he he handed it off. He handed the baton off and said, now you have authority. And, And so to reign in life is to exercise the kingdom of God's authority in our lives. It's to be an influence to the world around us. And this is where it gets personal, which is the part we don't like says, and to be in control of our emotions, our choices, our words, instead of being dominated by them. I don't like that. I'm sure you just don't even bother you, but it, it, that convicts me that I'm actually supposed to be in charge of this little muscle that flaps in my mouth that gets in me in trouble. And I just say things sometimes. I'm like, where'd that come from? James chapter 3 talks about that a little bit. But yet, we have to exercise dominion. How many of you know that if you don't exercise dominion, things go haywire? 
If you don't exercise dominion over your yard, guess what happens? Weeds start growing up everywhere, right? Things get out of control. Your neighbors get mad at you. <laughs> you know, all these kinds of things. We have to exercise dominion. Now, let me just say this as a side note, because depending on your experience, dominion in the kingdom of God is never over people. Never. So it's not about manipulation, like, oh, well, I'm somebody spiritual. You need to do, no, no, no. You get authority, you get dominion for what purpose? To rule over circumstances and situations. Demonic activity around us. That's what it's there for. Not to control other people. That's an abuse of Scripture. Unfortunately, people abuse Scripture. But it doesn't make it right. Verse 18 here in Romans 5 says, In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so uh, one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. To all. Just as Adam fell, Jesus was righteous, and because of his righteous act, we now can live a victorious life. The message translation says it this way. It says, here in a nutshell, verse 18, says, just as one person did it wrong and got us all in trouble with sin and with death, another person did it right and got us out of it. That's what happens. So we have to understand that God's grace empowers us to what? To live differently. It's by the grace of God that I am actually able, that you are able to now live differently according to God's word and to measure up to God's standard. But it's also the gift of of righteousness that allows us to run to God instead of running from God, even when we make mistakes. See, many of us live defeated because as soon as we make a mistake, the first thing we're doing is exit stage right. Like, let me just get away from when, when, in fact, we should do the exact opposite. We should run. The Bible says we should run to the throne of grace in our time of need. Well, how much more of a time of need do you need it than when you messed up? When I've messed up. That's the time that when I say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Let me run back over here and get with God. Why? Because my righteousness, it has nothing to do with what I do. It has to do with who I've been created to be. God does not call me or you righteous based off of what we do. Because if he did, we'd all be in trouble. He based it off of what Christ did and who we've now been created to be in Christ. Which is redeemed, whole, completely saved. The Bible says to the uttermost degree. And you're like, yeah, but how, you were talking earlier about how does this make a difference like for me tomorrow? Because if you would understand your righteousness it will change the lies that the enemy can convince you are true. When condemnation comes, you say, devil, I know I did that, but my, my righteousness is not based off of what I do anyways. So I'm not buying into that lie. My righteousness is based off of Christ and I'm in him. And the Bible says that I have been forgiven and that God, look, I'm a work in progress, devil, but you know what? I'm in progress. I'm not just happy with where I've been. I'm moving forward. See, righteousness is not something that we achieve. It's not something that that we can work at. So we can't work for it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But we have to receive it. But it's not this passive receiving. 
You know, like my, my, you know, all of our kids are getting ready for Christmas. Well, they're going to passively receive some stuff on Christmas. They're going to wake up and have some presents, right? Why do they get it? Just because we love them and because we bought into a tradition that we buy stuff warm on Christmas, but we all do it, right? Well, they just, they didn't do anything. They just showed up in this Christmas morning. Hallelujah. Let's open some presents. No, we have to proactively receive. Now, that doesn't mean in an earning. It means to take hold of. It means to obtain. So let me give you an example of this that I believe will help you understand what I'm talking about here. Let's say that somebody came to you and says, I want to buy you a brand new car. Brand new car. All you got to do is you just need to go to the dealership. You need to pick out the, the car you want, the color you want, just all that. Just go get it. And I've already signed. I've already taken care of everything. All you got to do is go there and drive off. That, that car's yours. Now, what did you do? You obtained. You went and received a free gift, right? You didn't earn it, probably. I mean, I don't know. Maybe y'all some really nice people, but you probably didn't earn that, deserve that. But yet somebody has what? Offered to buy you a new car. You go to the dealership, you pick it out, you do all this, you drive off. Guess what? Is that car any less yours because you didn't write the check? No, it's yours. It was a gift. It was given to you. But did you not have to receive it? Because what if you would have just said, you know what? You just go pick it for me. Okay, I'm going to go find you a cheap, ugly car and I'm going to bring it to you. Right? Not that nice, brand new one that has that new car smell. No, you have a new car. But what if you refuse just to go at all? What if their condition was, I'm not going to do it for you. I'm already paying for it. All you have to do is get off your rear end and go to the dealership and pick it out. You would have to what? Proactively receive it. You got to go do something. Like you, you, have to, you have to, well, the same thing is true when we're talking about righteousness. How do you proactively receive righteousness? You have to get into the word of God. And every time that the devil comes and says, you know how, you know how messed up you are? You need to respond to that with the word of God. No, the Bible says that I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. That I am the righteousness of God. That I have been recreated in Christ for good works. That I would bring praise and honor and glory unto the Father who saved me. See, the problem is we don't do that. We just let them thoughts just sit there and roll in our head, roll in our head, roll in our head, roll in our head. And we wonder why we're defeated. It's because we're not responding proactively to the gift of righteousness that God has given us. That when the devil comes to condemn, no, the Bible says that my sins have been cast as far as from the east is from the west. And that God would remember them no more. He don't keep a record. He ain't got an extra black book somewhere else. No, I have been forgiven. That's the language of righteousness. It's proactive. I'm going to respond when the devil comes to, to say or to drop thoughts in my mind that are contrary to God's word. Nope, devil, that's not what God's word says about me. I do have a hope and a future. I have an expected end, and it's for my good. It's not for my bad. So God's got a purpose and a plan for my life. I'm here for a reason. I matter. And yet the enemy come and try to convince you, well, you don't. You don't matter. God doesn't have a purpose for you. God doesn't even know you exist. No, the Bible says that he knows the very hairs on my head. He knows the very number right now. That's how much he knows about me. So devil, you're a liar, liar, pants on fire. 
right? But see, so many times we allow these thoughts to just sit. We never respond. No, we've got to be proactive. If we're, if we're going to experience a life of victory, if we're going to be able to tell the devil seriously with all, like, hey, devil, game's up. You lost. You're not in control anymore. You're just trying to. You're an imposter. You're a fake. But I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you win anymore. It's up. In James chapter 4, verse 7. So well, how do I do this? And some of this is what I was just sharing with you. James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, gives us the instruction. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee. One translation says that when we resist him, he will run in stark terror. Why? Because he realizes that we actually have authority to tell him what to do. He's just hoping. He's banking on the fact that we don't know. It says if we would, what, stand up against him, resist him, to oppose him, to say, nope, that's not who I am. It says that he would turn and run. Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it, these scriptures kind of parallel one another. Peter gives us some instructions and he says, be Balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Verse 9 says, take a decisive stand against him. Take a dis- In other words, what does that mean? Draw a line in the sand. Devil, I'm not moving from right here's my line. I'm not backing off of this. This is who the Bible says I am, so that must be who I am and I'm not moving. So you take a decisive stand against him and resist his, his every attack with strong and vigorous faith. How do you overcome him? By faith. Like, well, what does that mean? By believing God's word. Devil, I don't care how I feel. I don't care what my emotions may be telling me right now because they're telling me something different than what God's word says. And my emotions, my feelings agree with you in this moment. But I don't trust my feelings. Sometimes you got to, you know, David did that. He said, be still, be quiet, my soul. Let me put that in modern day language. Mind shut up. Stop it. And I'm going to begin to look at God's word. And I'm going to begin to agree with God's word. Why? Because that's how I live victoriously. That's how you live victoriously. Why? It's. How we think determines whose side we're playing on, right? I want to make sure I'm on God's side because God don't lose. I don't like losing either, so I want to make sure I'm on his side. Let me share one last thought with you as we wrap up this morning. But it says here, I've got this note here that I wrote. But reigning in life is this. It really comes down to this. It's living with a kingdom approach with kingdom resources for every situation and circumstance. It's living with a kingdom approach. Let me say it this way. It's living with a kingdom mindset, which is the word of God, with kingdom resources, which is what? God's grace and his gift of righteousness. To handle anything that comes our way. 
The challenge in life is learning how to access what God has already made available to us as children. That's where the struggle comes. Because we can know all the right things, but at some point you've got to start doing the right things. So the challenge in life is learning how to access what God has made available to us as his children. But that's what faith does. It, it grabs hold of what God has made available to us. Faith, the Bible says, reaches out into the unseen and grabs what I cannot see and brings it into reality. In other words, that there may be a circumstance or a situation in your life going on right now. And let's just, I'll just use this as an example. Let's just say you, you need physical healing. Well, the Bible says that you are healed. Psalms 103 says this, is that he would heal or forgive all of your sins and heal all of your disease. So the same God that, that saves from all sin also delivers from all disease. That's what the Bible says. But you may be dealing with symptoms in your body. Well, those symptoms are telling you a story, right? You're in pain, you're hurting. This is just the way it's going to be forever. You might as well just get used to it. But yet the word of God says something different. And by faith, I can grab hold of the word of God, which is what? By his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. The same way that you saved me of my sin is the same way that you will heal me from all disease. By faith, because guess what? I may still have some symptoms in my body. And, and, and please hear me. I'm not one to deny those things. I believe in being honest. If I ask you, how are you doing? And you're like, <coughs> I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. No, you're sick. Like, let's just call it what it is, right? I'm not saying to be in denial of your circumstances. That's not what I'm saying. I say that kind of jokingly. Now, there's a part, though, that Father, I thank you. Just as you, you may feel defeated this morning. You may feel like, man, I, I've got nothing to offer. God could never use me to do anything. No, the truth is, is that God can use you to do anything that he wants you to do. Father, I thank you that I'm not limited by my resources because I've got the resources of heaven. My daddy's loaded and he has a way of getting me everything I need. It's this attitude of faith and this heart that just says, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe your word. And I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to back off and I'm not going to be wishy-washy back and forth. No, your word is true. It's true for me. And the, and the reason that I can have confidence that your word would come about in my life is because you call me righteous. See, God calls you righteous right now. If you've received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the same spirit that was in him is now on you. That's righteousness. Like, What is righteousness? It simply means that God ain't mad at you. You're in right standing with him. That's what it means. And yet it's such a hard concept many times for us to understand, not in our mind, but I mean it really in our heart. But see, the word of God is true to us. It's reality to us. And so many times we struggle trying to connect those dots. I know this is what God's word says, but why do I feel so differently? 
You need to start responding to the lies of the enemy. Don't let them sit dormant. Don't just be like, I'm just going to push that off. You're like, well, how do I know if it's the enemy? Is it contrary to the word of God? Is it trying to tell you that you're somebody other than what God's word says about you? That's why it's important to know the word of God. That's why it's important to to have Christian friendships. That's why I was encouraging you to be in a small group. Why? Because when you're honest in a small group and you start saying, man, I've been dealing with all these thoughts. They're like, hey, that's the enemy speaking to you. This is what, let me just tell you what the word says about you. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. I feel pretty good about myself. But it came through a relationship at a small group. This is God's promise to us. Is that what Jesus has done for us, it is finished. It is complete. I read it to you earlier out of Colossians. It says that you are complete. You lack nothing. You have everything you need right now to do everything God's called you to do. Right now. Like, yeah, but what about the cross? For everyone a year, yeah, but what about, I would say, yeah, what about the cross of Christ? Was it not enough? Is it not enough today, right now? Because God's grace is still available to us. It's actually in an abundance. I love that. An abundance of grace. That's more grace than we need. And yet God continually pours it out, pours it out, pours it out.